Amen. Let's start in Romans chapter 8 tonight, please. We've been teaching a series on the Holy Spirit for a number of weeks, and we want to continue along that line tonight as well. Romans chapter 8, we've looked at uh, uh, many of the things that were said about the Holy Spirit and the, the uh, explanation that Jesus gave about his coming in the 14th, 15th, and 16th chapters of John. I want to skip a little bit ahead, fast forward a little bit into the church age when Paul is writing by the Holy Ghost about one of the works of the Holy Spirit. Verse 26, Paul said, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, the likewise is a reference to the previous verses where it talks about the earth is groaning and travailing until it receives the manifestation of the sons of God. If you think about it, when God created the earth and uh, supplied it, made everything that he made in the six days, uh, and then he made man, the earth was never intended to experience the law of sin and death. God looked at everything he made in those first six days and he said that it was very good. Some translations even translate that to it was perfect. And I, I, I can't imagine how we'd have a problem with using the word perfect for what God had created before the fall, of course. So the earth really never was designed by God to put up with the law of sin and death and the effects of the curse that came upon the earth. And for that reason, Paul tells us by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is the one inspiring Paul to write these things, the Holy Ghost tells us through the Apostle Paul that the earth is waiting for Jesus' return. The earth is waiting to come back under the rule and reign of God and his people rather than to be burdened by the law of sin and death as it has been since the fall of man. So again, it says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. The word infirmities is the word weakness. It's sometimes throughout Scripture translated sickness. Uh, and so the only way you can tell is to identify it from the context of the scriptures in which is, this word is used. So when he's talking about helps our infirmities, he's, he can't be talking about helps our uh, sicknesses. He's not saying the Holy Spirit helps our sicknesses, but rather he's talking about a weakness. Now, whenever the Bible uses this word infirmity to refer to a weakness, it always identifies what the weakness is. It doesn't just throw something out there and uh, as we might thumb our nose at somebody else and say, well, weakness is all you're going to have in your life. The Bible always identifies the weakness when, when that's the, the, uh, the means or the purpose of communicating with uh, the use of this word. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our weakness. Well, what weakness is it? Here he tells us, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. I don't think we'd have much argument with the idea or the concept that we can't see everything as clearly as we could if we were not held back by the experience of the flesh. The Bible says now we see through a glass darkly, but there's coming a point in time where we'll be able to see face to face, openly in other words. So the weakness he's talking about is we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. That doesn't mean we don't know what to pray for. It just means that in many situations, particularly things that pertain to other people and things surrounding us, we don't have all the insight and all the inside information to be able to pray effectively. Well, how does the Holy Ghost help us with that? He tells us, it says, But the Spirit itself or himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. P.C. Nelson said that this, uh, he's a Bible scholar, foremost uh, expert on the Greek language in his lifetime. And he said this would better be translated with groanings which cannot be uttered in articulate speech. 
Well, if we understand that he's talking about inarticulate speech, then we have to understand and conclude that he's talking about speaking in tongues or praying in tongues. Again, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our weakness, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. How does that help our weakness? Verse 27, And he that searches the hearts, that's God, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, maketh intercession for the saints is not talking about he's praying for you. The Holy Ghost has no need to pray for you. Intercession is uh, to join two things together, two people or two things together. I use this illustration sometimes. I don't know if it's a really good one, but it's about the only one I can come up with. If I know somebody that you don't know and you want to meet them or I want to introduce them to you, I am the interceder or the one who intercedes between you and the person you want to meet. It's just somebody that joins two things together. Well, intercession can't, therefore can't ever be used to talk about a believer. Because there is no separation for any believer from God. So he's not talking about the Holy Spirit praying for us. A lot of times people get the idea, uh, take the scripture where it says, Jesus uh, ever liveth to make intercession for the saints seated at the right hand of God the Father. Well, Jesus isn't praying. If Jesus still had to pray after he got to heaven, then the work couldn't have been finished or completed. The whole reason he sat down at the right hand of God is that the work is finished. Well, if he's not sitting at the right hand of God and praying for us, then what intercession is there? Jesus is the eternal proof that we've been joined together with God. He's the eternal evidence and proof that his death, burial, and resurrection paid the price, obtained for us a complete redemption, and we are evermore joined together with God just like Jesus was himself. So here where it says he maketh intercession for the saints, it's talking about he's the one that comes in between us and the weakness of not knowing how to pray as we ought. He's filling the gap, in other words, which is another definition for the word intercession. So he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. That's after we pray in the Holy Ghost. That's after we give the Holy Spirit a chance to pray in other tongues where our understanding is unfruitful, but it's a, a spiritual exercise or a spirit exercise where we're praying by the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I said, that doesn't mean that we don't know what to pray for. Turn with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Here's some scriptures that the Bible identifies, Paul identifies again by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of what God wants us to pray. Verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now supplications is claiming a right. It's going to God in prayer. It's a, a, a more earnest or forceful type of prayer. And the Holy Ghost can certainly give us utterance in other tongues to supplicate as well. But these are things, elements or parts of our prayer life that God wants us to include or different ways that he wants us to pray. Notice intercessions is in there. We might supplicate for somebody else, for other Christians, and claim their rights and privileges for them. But when it comes to intercessions, 
The only way we'd be able to make intercession for somebody is if they were unsaved. Well, since he says for all men, then we know that he's talking about both the saved and the unsaved, and that's the reason why there are the different elements or different categories of prayer that make up a, a healthy prayer life. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now he's going to define who some of the all men are. For kings and for all that are in authority. When you well understand, folks, that kings or rulers of nations are oftentimes, maybe most often, not born again. They're people who are unsaved. So if we're going to pray for an unsaved ruler, then we're going to have to make intercession for them in some way or another. So we're supposed to pray for kings and for all that are in authority. Notice it's not for their sake, it's for our sake. That we might lead a, a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Folks, one of the things that the Bible instructs us to do is pray for our nation, pray for the leaders of our nation and the leaders of other nations, other world leaders. We're supposed to do that so that it makes our lives calmer. It brings peace, the peace of God to bear on our lives. He goes on to say, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So certainly a part of our prayers for them would be prayers for their eyes to be opened or prayers for somebody to come across their path to share the good news of Jesus with them so that they would be born again. That doesn't make up the entirety of the prayer that we would pray for kings and others that are rulers. It wouldn't make up the entirety of what the Holy Ghost would give us to pray. But if we think about praying for people that are in charge, people that are leaders of nations or our president or our congressman or whatever, we don't know what's going on in their lives. We may have access to a news report about some special circumstance or some special thing that's going on, but we would have no way to know any further in their, uh, about the things that are taking place in their lives. We certainly wouldn't know the things that are in their hearts. We might see their actions and judge by their actions whether they're doing godly or ungodly things. But we would have no way to know what's going on behind the scenes. Thank God for the help of the Holy Ghost. He helps our weakness. He helps what we don't know by giving us utterance in other tongues to pray the perfect will of the Father. Now when it, talk, it comes to praying for kings and praying for our nation and the leaders of our nation, and again, it's not just our nations. We're not obligated just to pray for our own nation and let somebody else take care of the others. We can pray for anybody as the Holy Ghost gives us utterance. But when we talk about that, obviously we're talking about governments. And one of the things that the devil, and I, I firmly believe this is one reason why so many Christians fall short of God's command in disrespect. Notice a couple of things about it. It says, first of all. Well, what does first of all mean? That would have to mean before we pray about anything else. It would have to mean before we pray about ourselves or our loved ones or the people that we know, people that we might be close enough to to be able to pray with our own understanding because we are familiar with what's going on in their lives. But this is first of all. Paul is telling us by the Holy Ghost that this should come first. Now some people will look at that and say, well, how are we going to pray for an unsaved, uh, an unsaved leader, world ruler? 
Or maybe they look at these scriptures and say, well, yeah, but Paul didn't foresee the things that are going on in our day. At the time that he writes this, folks, he's awaiting death from the emperor of Rome, Nero. He knows he's going to be martyred, and he's in prison for preaching the gospel, for taking a stand for righteousness. Well, I don't know how world leaders could get any worse than that. So if he tells us we should pray, when he's praying the same thing, and obviously he would be, one thing Paul was not was a hypocrite. So when he delivers the information that the Holy Ghost wants us to have concerning our prayer life, I always assume that he's operating that same way himself. So he's praying for the very people that are going to put him to death, I'm sure, along with others. But one of the things that I think causes people to draw back from this, from operating this way, is that when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting, one of the temptations, the second temptation, the second of the three temptations according to Luke chapter 4, is that Satan took him up into the mountains and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. In fact, I'm going to read this. You don't have to turn here, but I want to make sure that I get, every, get it just right. Luke chapter 4, verse 5, And the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now, I don't know how he did that. I don't know if these were thoughts he planted in his mind or if there was something supernatural beyond just the thought life. I have no idea. But he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and the devil said unto him, verse 6, the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Jesus answered and said unto him, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Jesus doesn't uh, contradict what he said about the kingdoms of the world, the authority of the kingdoms of the world. And notice the devil says that those things have been delivered to him. Well, Jesus came to, to, through his righteousness and his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus came to gain the glory of the earth. So he wound up with this. But Satan still has a little bit of time left on his lease here on the earth. So when the devil says that he has been, uh, that these authority or, uh, authorities are the power of the rulers of the earth, when he says these things have been delivered to him, what are we supposed to do with that? Why well, pray if they've been delivered to him? Now, God certainly didn't deliver it to him. God made man, according to Genesis 1.26, he made man in his own image and after his own likeness for the purpose of having authority on the earth. Well, having authority on the earth would include having the authority of the kingdoms of the earth that arose after man was first placed here. So God intended for man to have authority on the earth. He still does. God never changes. If that was ever God's plan, and the Bible's real clear on the fact that it was, then he never changes. But we can readily see that the devil is exercising a great deal of his power and a great deal of the authority that he has by man's fall. The law of sin and death overcoming the earth and taking hold of mankind. He's talking about, or the Bible is clearly showing us, that the devil's exercising a lot, of, a lot of his authority through governments. Through governments. Now let's prove this out. Turn with me back to Ezekiel chapter 28. 
Ezekiel chapter 28. You know what? I'm going to read another scripture while you're turning back to Ezekiel. Let me remind you of Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul is talking about putting on the whole armor of God. Verse 12, he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Now, Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, Thus saith the Lord God, Because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of God, in the midst of the seas, yet thou art a man. So here's somebody that's claiming to be a God, but he's not. He's a human being. Yet thou art a man and not God, though thou settest thine heart as the heart of God. Behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that they can hide from thee. With thy wisdom and with thine understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches and hast gotten gold and silver into thy treasures. By the, thy great wisdom and by thy traffic hast thou increased their, thy riches, and thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast set my, thine heart as the heart of God, behold, therefore I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, and they shall defile thy brightness. They shall bring thee down to the pit, and thou shalt die in the depths of them that are slain in the midst of the seas. Wilt thou yet say before him that slayeth thee, I am God? But thou shalt be a man, and no God, in the hand of him that slayeth thee. Thou shalt die the deaths of the uncircumcised by the hand of strangers. For I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. Now this guy, whoever he is, this king of Tyrus, this guy's got pretty much everything going on and going together. He has great wisdom. He's wiser than Daniel. He has wisdom where the things of the earth is concerned, and so he's made himself very rich. He's heading or exercising authority over trafficking. Now the trafficking is uh, a better word for that might be merchandising today. It's talking about economic structure and economic system and so forth. And all of this has caused this man to be lifted up, and he is a man, he's a natural human ruler, has caused him to be lifted up and God's saying that his destruction is just around the corner. But now let's keep reading. We found out about this king of Tyrus, but let's see something else Ezekiel prophesies. Verse, 12, verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thou art the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now the other guy was the prince of Tyrus. In verse 2, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, This other guy is a king. Now who's greater, a king or a prince? Obviously the king is. So this is somebody else that he's prophesying to or unto. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. 
I want you to notice something, folks. He's a created being. He's not somebody that's born into the earth like man, like mankind. This pipes and tabrets most probably refers to his voice. Apparently, he was created to have something special with his voice, perhaps uh, in worship, intended, certainly intended to be the, the worship of God. Verse 14, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy, holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now, folks, what man was in the Garden of Eden except Adam and Eve? What man walked upon the holy mountain of God? These are things that had to be before the fall of man, before the creation and the fall of man, that these things took place. Thou was perfect in the, thy ways from the day that thou was created. Again, there's a reference to a created being, not somebody born into the earth. Till iniquity was found in thee. Now, this word found means to exist or to appear. In other words, it's telling us that iniquity was not something that came to him. It was something that he created. It's something that he initiated on his own. Well, if he was perfect in the manner that he was created, we understand that it, the creator is God and only God. Then there couldn't have been iniquity in him as a part of what God created him to be. Because if God creates evil or iniquity or sin in any way whatsoever, then he's just as guilty of it as the people that participated in it. But here it says this spirit being was perfect in the way that he was created. Verse 16, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of the fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, and it shall devour thee. And I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror and never shalt thou be any more. Now the only individual created being that could have been in Eden, the garden of God, is the devil. The only one that could have walked on the holy mountain of God was the devil. So here it's saying the prince of Tyrus is a man. He's claiming to be a God, but he's not. He's a human being. But there's somebody higher, according to this text, there's somebody higher than the one that's ruling the physical kingdom of Tyre. And who is that? Well, obviously, it's the devil. Obviously, it's the one that was uh, created to be the anointed cherub. Apparently, the devil had some position, maybe even a position similar to the archangel David, or I'm sorry, the archangel Michael, maybe Gabriel as well. We don't know too much about the angels, but we do know some that are of the highest rank. And so this has to be the devil. Now, notice the similarities between how the king of Tyre the man that's ruling the nation of Tyre and the things that the scripture says about the devil, about the brightness and the wisdom and the merchandise of thy traffic and the riches that came as a result 
of the wisdom that he operated in here on the earth. Folks, the, the simple answer for this is to understand that there are spiritual kingdoms that are behind natural kingdoms. Now, again, when we go back and consider Luke chapter 4, where the devil says to Jesus, I'll give you the glory of all the kingdoms of the earth if you'll fall down and worship me. I can do that because it's been delivered unto me. Then we have to understand, and I think it's important that we focus, maybe more so than we ever have, on looking at the government that's taking place and the government that's operating around us if we want to see the devil's operation. I don't know of anything else the devil claims to be delivered unto him. The only thing that I can find in the scripture is the devil claimed that the authority and the power of the kingdoms were his. Well, that seems to bear this out. That seems to agree with what we just read over in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. These have to be ranks of evil spirits, the operation of evil spirits. We wrestle against principalities and powers. The third one is interesting, rulers of the darkness of this world. There apparently is a class of evil spirits that are working behind the scenes, hidden to the natural eye, hidden from this physical realm, who rule over the darkness of this world. Jesus said the whole world lies in darkness. Well, that's true with the exception of those of us that have made Jesus the Lord of our lives. Because now the Bible says, because of the righteousness that we've received of him, the Bible says that we're the light of the world, just as he was the light of the world. But outside of the church, those who are born again, everything is in darkness. Everything is in spiritual darkness. Man's eyes are closed to much of what's going on around them, much of the way that, that this earth is operating, much of the way that, that uh, the law of sin and death influences and pushes and controls mankind. There's another class of evil spirit that we see over in Ephesians 6, 12, 2, not just principalities and powers, not just the rulers of the darkness of this world, but also spiritual wickedness in heavenly or high places. Well, that could refer to the spirit realm, the evil's the evil side of the spirit realm where governments are concerned as well. Now look with me over to, to uh, Daniel chapter 10. Let's see another example of this. Daniel chapter 10 beginning in verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had an understanding of the vision. Folks, that simply means that through Jeremiah's prophecy, Daniel came to understand that they were going to be captive for 70 years, taken captive first by Babylon and then overcome by the, the Persians and the Greeks after that. But he understood from, Dan, from uh, Jeremiah's prophecy that it was 70 years of bondage that they were in, and after 70 years they would come forth and be let go. Well, he knew the, that the calendar showed that those 70 years are just about up. So he goes and fasts for three weeks, 21 days, to find out from the Lord how these things are going to take place so that Israel is restored to, to their own nation. In those days, I, Daniel, was in mourning three full weeks, and I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. 
neither did I, did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the river, the great river Hidekel, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Ophaz. His body also was like beryl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes were as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet were like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Obviously, he's seeing a spirit. Obviously, he's speaking, he, to, he sees and will be speaking to an angel of God. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone and saw this great vision. And there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption. And I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then I was in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me up on my knees and upon the palms of my hands. Now, folks, we a lot of times see people fall under the power of God when they're being ministered to. But when God's, and a lot of people don't understand what that's about. But wait till God starts setting them back up again. Just like they did here with Daniel. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before the Lord. The chastening is uh, uh, the fasting that he was doing. Thy words were heard, and I come for thy words. Now, folks, I want you to get something here. Daniel, this angel was sent to Daniel the first day that he set himself to seek the answer that he, looked, that he needed from God. A lot of times we look at things and the, uh, and the answer to our prayers are delayed. And the devil certainly wants to use that delay to make you think that God's forgotten about you or he doesn't care about you or whatever. Here, this angel was sent to Daniel from the first day for his words, in other words, for the things that he prayed, his answer came immediately. Now, it didn't arrive immediately, but it was sent from God just as soon as Daniel prayed and asked for the things that he did. But, here's the, the uh, delay, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. Now, who's this prince of Persia? He can't be a physical human being. We just read that in the early reign of Cyrus, the king of Persia, he's the natural ruler, the natural authority over the kingdom of Persia. But here, we're this is talking about a spiritual influence, evil spirits working behind the scenes. See, folks, there's so many things, and really, this is true in everything. Man has authority on the earth, and he can exercise authority against the devil or contrary to the devil any time and every time he wants to. But it's through deception that the devil is able to influence mankind. It's the only tool he has. And so as long as he keeps man's eyes shut to what's really going on and where the road that he's taking really ends up at, then he's got pretty much a free reign. And as we've seen before, 
a great emphasis of his influence, his evil influence, is in the realm of governments. So here this angel says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, we have to assume that's the archangel Michael, came to help me and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now he's talking about a plurality. Now it's not just the king of Persia, it's kings plural. Who are these evil spirits? Who are these spirit beings? They've got to be the rulers of the darkness of this world operating over this kingdom of Persia. So just as we saw in Ezekiel chapter 28, we see that there's a spiritual kingdom that goes beyond the natural kingdom of these countries or these territories that the Bible is identifying. Well, if the, if the evil spirits that are working against the plan of God in Persia at the time that Daniel is speaking and, and gives us this account, then we ought to recognize if they can delay things coming to Daniel, they can certainly delay things coming to us. Now, it didn't change the truth of the answer coming. It didn't change God's willingness for Daniel to have the answers that he sought. But it sure messed up the timing, didn't it? So he says, Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. For yet the vision is for many days. Folks, notice something. God's not holding back answers. He's not trying to keep mankind in the dark. God sent the answer the first time that Daniel spoke, the first thing he said in seeking the answers that he needed. God's not holding back. I think that's a real important thing to us, for us to keep in mind. I think that's the reason why Paul is talking about in the middle, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, in the middle of putting on the armor of God. The reason that we need to put on the armor of God is because there's going to be a spiritual battle for anything we try to take hold of according to God's plan and purpose. Now, a lot of times people let the delay itself cause them to let go of the answer or their desire to receive the answer. Again, verse 14, he said, Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then, opened, then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. And there came again one, uh, then there came again and touched me, one like of the appearance of the man, and he strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee. Be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken to me, unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Verse 20, Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. He's telling Daniel that Greece will overthrow the Persian Empire. The Grecian Empire is the one that's next. 
And notice it says he's going back to fight the battle. So apparently this battle that he identifies is one that was solely intending or the sole purpose for it was to keep Daniel's answer from coming. In other words, to keep the word of God from being understood. So apparently there are angels in the heavenlies along with evil spirits that are waging war against each other to keep the plan and the purpose of God from being revealed to mankind. And again, it goes back to the same thing, folks. The devil has only one, one weapon, and that's deception. The longer he can keep people's eyes shut to the truth, the greater influence he can exert. Now turn back with me to Genesis chapter 18. What shall we say to these things? The Bible is indicating to us the importance of praying for the leaders of our nation and to pray for the leaders of other nations because they're being influenced by evil spirits. And I would dare say in most cases, maybe all but a few cases, the leaders don't know what's driving them. They don't recognize the influence, the evil influence behind what they're doing. Now, folks, if you look at some of the things that are being done and the way things are operating in, in behind the scenes in government, it's pretty easy to recognize if you've got the life of God on the inside of you and you're conversing in the Word to understand how things work, it's pretty easy to tell what God's doing as opposed to what the devil's doing. But let me show you an example of this praying where governments are concerned or where the evil spirits, the evil influence against governments is concerned. Genesis chapter 18, the story is set by when three angels come down. Well, well it's uh, the Lord, the angel of the Lord, probably Jesus, comes down with two other angels. And they come to where Daniel is in, uh, where uh, Abraham is encamped. And so the hospitality dictated that he would invite them in. He didn't know who they were to begin with. But they explain the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cry of it has come up to, to God's ear. And he's going to check it out. He's going to identify if what he's heard about this is accurate. And I know this is simplistic because God knows everything and he already knew without checking anything out. But this has more to do with the covenant that Abraham had with God than anything else. And so when they finish their conversing, verse 17 says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? In other words, he's saying, How can I destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and not clue Abraham in? He's my covenant partner. Now, folks, think about that for a minute. The Bible talks about Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. That's Genesis 3.13. Verse 14 says that or so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith. And that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So anything we see that Abraham had as a part of the covenant relationship he had with God, we have that too. If we apply the first thing that we've seen here regarding the actions of the, of the Lord. He said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? If he wouldn't hide from Abraham the things that were going to happen regarding the fate of the cities, 
where Abraham was located. Why would we expect that he would hide what he's going to do concerning countries and so forth where we are? Abraham had a right to know. According to what God said, Abraham had a right to know. Well, then so does the church. Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, and of course we know the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was homosexuality, he says, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I'll know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now he knows that Lot and his family is in the city of Sodom. So he has a vested interest in the, the future, certainly the destruction of Sodom. He doesn't want his nephew, Lot, and his family to be destroyed along with the city. So he says, Will thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. And that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Folks, that's speaking pretty bold to God. And the Lord said, because you've opened your mouth, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah will fall on you too. Not quite. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall be thirty found there and he said I'll not do it if I find 30 and he said behold now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord peradventure there shall be 20 found there and he said I will not destroy it for 20's sake and he said oh let not the Lord be angry and I will yet speak once but this once peradventure 10 shall be found there and he said I'll not destroy it for 10's sake and the Lord went his way and as soon as he had left communing with Abraham and Abraham returned unto his place Now, folks, the, the, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was certainly equal to or greater than anything we've witnessed in our day. I know we see things taking place with the homosexual agenda. We see things regarding abortion and, and the murder of innocent children. And by the way, abortion is murder for this reason. Murder is identified as the shedding of innocent blood. There is nothing more innocent than a baby who is yet to be born. So that's why I call murder abortion. 
lot of times people get caught up in the Old Testament stuff and they say, well, how can you say that abortion is wrong when the Bible and, and uh, favor the death penalty when the Bible says thou shalt not kill? I've got news for you, folks. The Bible does not say thou shalt not kill. The Bible says thou shalt not murder. King James translation translates the word murder as the word kill. But it is the word murder, and there's a different word for killing than the word that's used for murder. 